Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. A reading from the Corinthians. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start is created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square between himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now, becoming friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask, in Christ? God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put the right with God. Thanks, Michaela. Hold on a second, because everyone needs to know, not only are you an amazing scripture reader, but this girl can play soccer. She is good. She's on Eleanor's team. I get to, I'm pretending like I know what I'm doing. I'm the assistant coach. Coach Victor really knows what he's doing, right? But but she's going to be the coach next year, because she's good. So thank you. So hello. Typically, I'm like, when we were standing out there before, I was like saying welcome to people because that's what you do when they arrive at church, but it doesn't feel right to be the one saying welcome to you. So thank you for welcoming us. Uh, For those of you whom I have not met yet, which is many of you, uh, my name is, once again, Becca Bruner, and I'm so glad to be one of the co-pastors here in this wonderful community of faith. I thought as I began this morning, I would start with your permission with a really, really dumb joke. Like, it's really dumb. I'm gonna tell you that from the outset. It's a dumb joke. Is that okay if I tell a dumb joke? Okay. It's one of those, how many blanks does it take to change a light bulb jokes? That that kind of joke. Is that okay, Jeff? It's all right, all right. If you don't like it, blame Jeff. Uh, So uh, the, the, the joke is, how many charismatic Pentecostal Christians does it take to change a light bulb? One, because their hands are already in the air. Ah, So so great, it's good. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, at least 15. There's one to change the light bulb, three committees to approve the change and decide who's going to bring the potato salad and chicken for the potluck. How many Presbyterian Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Thank you, it's been so great serving as your your pastor. I will see myself out. It's a dumb joke, no. No, 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 no. I told you from the outset it's a dumb joke, you can't be mad at me. It's dumb, but it does have a measure of truth to it, doesn't it? 
Presbyterians, we can get a bad rap for our aversion to change, but it's common to all human nature. Change makes us feel sometimes a little suspicious, a little afraid, a little stressed out, even if it's a change that we're excited about, the birth of a new child, a marriage, a new job, new pastors. Even if you're happy about this change, change causes some anxiety, some, some stress to our minds, to our bodies, to our spirits. It's a scientifically documented fact that change can cause some stress. So I just kind of wanted to take a moment before we get into the message to just name that as a faith community, over these last two years, you guys have gone through a lot of change. And even Dave and I being up here, starting our ministry with you today, even if you're happy about it, it, it's still a change. It's still different. You've never had us up here leading worship for you before. We're a new face, a new, a new voice, and that's different. And so for whatever feelings that change brings up for you, I just want to honor that and name that if you're happy, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, whatever you feel is okay. And we're feeling that a little bit too. And we're going to get through it together. So until the day comes that this doesn't feel like a change, and that day will come, whatever you're feeling, let's rely on God's grace to carry us through it. So let's turn to God in prayer together. God of all seasons, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. While our lives and circumstances may change, you never change. Your mercies are from everlasting to everlasting, and your love never fails. Just as you have been faithful to provide in the past, we know that you will continue in the present and into the future, and so we trust you. We thank you. We worship you. So now as we turn to this time of attending to your holy word, prepare our minds and our hearts to receive what your spirit wants to say. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start this morning with a question. The question is, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word church? How would you define the word church? I would hazard to guess that for many of us, just in common conversation, when we hear the word church, we think of a building. We think of the church as a place. You know, somebody will ask, what are you doing on Sunday? They say, oh, I'm going to church. I'm going to Knox Presbyterian Church, to this location. That's what we think of when we think of church. Maybe for others, when, when you hear the word church, you think of a certain set of people. I've, I've encountered this, that, that sometimes when people think of church, they think of uh, a set of paid professionals. This, this idea of church comes up when, when, particularly in conversation, you know of a need in the community, right? So something needs to get done, and somebody will say something like, well, the church ought to help with that, right? And by that, they mean the paid professionals, you know, the pastors or, or the church staff or, or somebody should, who is paid on the staff, they should do something about that, whatever that is. Some people think of church as kind of a performance. 
Church is the stuff that we do on Sunday mornings, the music, the message, all of that stuff. I, I, I will confess that there have been times that Dave and I, when we have visited other churches, when we're driving home, we get into a conversation that hazards on sounding a little bit like a Yelp review, right? Like we're like, well, what did you think about that song? What did you think about the message? What did you, you know? And so it's like it, we're reviewing the performance that happened at church. Well, if any of those ring true for some of the ways that you have caught yourself thinking about church, I want to invite you today, instead of thinking about it as a place or the paid professionals or a performance, to begin thinking about church in a different way. Today and for the next several weeks, as we jump into this new sermon series we've called Better Together, we're going to start thinking about church the way Jesus thought about church. Jesus, of course, is the whole reason for the church in the first place. The church was launched around an event in history that was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was this resurrection that galvanized those first century believers around this one simple idea. And that idea is that if Jesus was who he said he was, who he was who he claimed to be, which was God incarnate, the Lord of the universe, the Savior of the world, if Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be, well, then those first followers of Jesus, they wanted to continue to shape the community the way he said it ought to be. So that's what they did. Starting 2,000 years ago and up to this very day, the church at the most basic level are people who are claimed by Christ together. That's who we are. We are claimed by Christ together. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about, trying to encourage his community to remember that Corinthian church, to remember who they were, that they were claimed by Christ together. Next week, we're going to talk about that together part, how important that is to remember that when we are claimed by Christ as individuals, we are claimed by Christ as a community. We're going to get to that next week, but today, it's all about Christ. Today, it's all about the difference it makes when somebody comes to understand, to recognize and receive that reality that he or she or they have been claimed by Christ as an individual the difference it makes when somebody says, I want to follow Jesus. Theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard once made a pretty audacious claim. He said that he believes there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. Think about that for a minute. He says there's no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. I think we can all agree there's a fair number of human problems out there. Greed, sexual assault, fear, violence, injustice, divorce, racism, neglect, bitterness, death, pollution, rejection, suffering, apathy, addiction, grief, war, hunger, hatred, just to name a few. There are a lot of human problems out there, and there are a whole lot of human problems in here. Human problems that we keep trying to solve by human means. Means of technology, or education, or wealth, sometimes even religion. But that's part of the problem. 
Human problems will not be solved by human means. Human problems cannot be solved by human nature. In fact, human nature is one of the biggest problems of all. Turns out Jesus knew this. Jesus taught this. Jesus knew that our greatest human problem was not technological or educational or financial or psychological. Our greatest human problem, the root and cause of every other human problem, is our human tendency to separate ourselves from God, to isolate ourselves from one another, to think we can do this whole human thing on our own. And to offer a solution to this problem, Jesus told a story. A story found in the Gospel of Luke. It's one that's very familiar probably to many of us. The story of a man with two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. And taking the money that his father gave him, the son ran off and spent it all, spending it on everything you could possibly imagine, but ending up with a whole mess of human problems. If you know the story, you know he, he had financial problems because he ran out of money. He had vocational problems. He couldn't get a job. He had relational problems because the people closest to him wouldn't even give him a job. They weren't even letting him, weren't willing to let him eat the food that was meant for pigs. But if you look at it, you can see all of it. All of these big human problems, financial, vocational, relational, all of them stem back to the greatest human problem, his decision to try to go it alone. So there he is sitting in the mess of all his human problems and he starts to think he can solve them by human means. He thinks, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go back home, he says. Not as a son, mind you. He thinks he can go back and be part of the paid staff, one of his father's hired hands. But what the son didn't know is what would be waiting for him when, as he walked back. And I will tell you right now, it was not a paycheck. Biblical scholar and expert on the Middle Eastern culture, Kenneth Bailey, points out that during this time, if any child behaved in the way that this son did to his father, the entire village would have jumped to the father's defense. So much so, that should a child who behaved this way ever try to return as this son intended to do, they actually had a ceremony, a village ceremony that they would perform to keep him away. And they called it the kezazah. Kezazah is the Hebrew word for cutting off. After treating his father the way that he had, should the son ever try to return, the residents of the town would all gather to block the path and to symbolize how destructive he had been, how broken he had made his community, his family, his life. He they would all take clay pots from their own home and they would break them. <laughs> you have broken your family. You have broken your community. You have broken your life. And they would turn 
and no one, no one would speak to him again. This is what was expected. This was their duty. This was their right. The kezezah. Kezezah is cut off. And some of us know what that feels like. Some of us feel cut off because of things that we have done. Some of us feel cut off because of things that have been done to us. Whatever the cause, the result is the same. We are cut off. Cut off from family and friends, cut off from ourselves, cut off from meaning and purpose, cut off from joy, cut off from hope, cut off from God. Some of us, when we look at our lives, all we see are those broken pieces and we have no idea how or even if they can be put back together. Our pain is too deep to heal. Our burdens are too heavy to carry. Our problems are so big they could never be solved. But Jesus, if that's how you feel today, Jesus wants you to know. Jesus wants you to hear. Jesus wants you to take it into the depths of your soul that there is no pain so deep, there is no burden so heavy, and there is no problem so big that following Jesus cannot solve it. For the biggest, deepest, most painful problem of our human life is our kezezah, is our cut-offness from God because of our sin, because of mine, because of yours, because of all of humankind, because of all the ways we say to our Father, give me what's mine. And we try to go off and do life on our own. We find ourselves cut off from our Creator. But friends, though we may cut ourselves off from God, God has never, will never cut himself off from us. In Jesus Christ, God made a way for all hurts to be healed, all burdens to be lifted, everything and everyone who was cut off to be completely and totally restored. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. God put the wrong on him. God put all our wrongs, all our human mess on him, on himself. That's why in Jesus' story, that father ran. Jesus said when the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, he ran out to him and embraced him and kissed him. The father ran to his son to keep him from the kezezah, to protect him from being cut off, to rescue him from that shame and to restore him to full sonship. That father ran to protect his son to rescue him, to restore him. And that's why he runs to us too, to protect us, to rescue us, to restore us. I will tell you, I do, I believe it. Even with the mess of all our world, I believe that there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. And following Jesus begins when you let your father 
run to you when you let Christ claim you. So as we close today, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do one of three things, depending on where you are on your own journey of following Jesus. I'm going to ask you to consider, to commit, or to come alongside. So first consider. Some of you, I know, you're sitting here listening to this message today and you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, she made me come today, but all oh, this stuff, she, that lady up there saying, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, no problem in human life that following Jesus can't solve. I'm sorry. Have you watched the news lately? Like, have you scrolled through Twitter even once? There's some big problems out there, and I'm not seeing them all get solved. So if you're thinking that today, fair point. So I would simply ask you to consider. Consider Jesus. Consider the impact it might make if the men and women of this world really, truly learned from him, emulated him, and followed him. Consider Jesus. Ask your questions. Explore your doubts. Jesus can handle it. There is no better time or place to do it. Just consider Jesus. Some others of you in this room, you've you've already done that. You have considered Jesus. Maybe it started with a recent curiosity. That's kind of what what brought you here. You're, You're interested in Jesus and you want to know more about him. Some of you have known about Jesus for a very, very long time. You've you've come to church, you've attended the classes, maybe served on a committee or a mission project. You know a lot about Jesus, but you kind of keep him out here, like at a safe distance. So for you, for however long you have been considering Jesus, may I suggest that you take the risk to commit. Say yes to following Jesus, to being claimed by Christ. Receive his forgiveness. Experience his grace. Know what it means personally to be transformed from the inside out by your Savior who deeply loves you. Commit to following Jesus. And finally, for those of you who've already made that commitment, you need to know you're not done yet. Saying yes to Jesus is not the finish line, it is the starting line. And we have got a race to run. So followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to come alongside. Come alongside people who don't know Jesus. Come alongside people in pain. Come alongside situations and circumstances of suffering. Come alongside people who need Jesus. Because you know how we said there's no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve? Well, one of the ways that Jesus solves a lot of those problems is through his followers. People like you and me, people who day by day, moment by moment, surrender their lives to Jesus, who become more like Jesus, who act like Jesus would, who do what Jesus would if Jesus were standing in their place. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, Come alongside and be Jesus for someone in need. So what comes to mind to you for when you think of the word church? 
How would you define church? Well, that's the question we're going to keep digging into this whole fall. These first two weeks, we're talking about being claimed by Christ together. Dave's going to take over for three weeks and talk about how we are called by Christ together. And then for the next several weeks after that, we'll take some turns to talk about how the heck we do this life in Christ together. So I hope you will join us for all of it. But I'll tell you what, I don't know everything. That's why Dave comes with the doctor. He knows a lot of things. But I do know this much. We are so, so, so much better when we're together. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.